Alive and Kicking on News Talk. Yes, you can email the show aliveandkicking at newstalk.com or find me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Claire McKenna Presents. Coming up this morning, Jerry Hussey on coming back from adversity. What sport can teach us about life? Emer Daly brings us the latest in health and wellness news and Dr. James Kinross on leading a research team on the microbiome and chronic disease. So what kind of a health and wellness week did I have? Well, this was a good week. I was away last weekend in Hidden Valley in Wicklow with my kids, another mum and her kids. So we all stayed in the one lodge camping in inverted commas. And to be honest, it's probably the closest I will ever get to camping at this stage in life, but never say never. And in fairness, the kids slept in sleeping bags and I cooked sausages on the barbecue. So that's camping, isn't it? And I had had a quite busy couple of weeks leading up to it, my sister being over and then it was quite a busy working week. And I kind of frantically ran home and packed up the car and it was all go. And I was sort of thinking to myself that I wished the weekend away was coming at another time when my energy wasn't quite as low. But actually... That was just what I needed because my energy was low. Because it was just us mums, we were doing all the activities with the kids. And there was something so grounding in that. I mean, for a start, I think Wicklow is a very special place. They don't call it the Garden of Ireland for nothing. We were right by a river with lots of big trees all around. And so that in itself, you know, was good for me. And to just sit and chat to a school mum who has become a great friend and she's like me, goes in deep with the chat. So we were going in deep. I absolutely love that. And then to play with the kids. I mean, there was this awful yoke, a big inflatable assault course on the water and it was mainly dads and kids on it. And I actually said no to something similar when we were in Centre Parks. But this time it was me and the other mum. She booked us in. So I donned the wetsuit and on I got. And it was actually loads of fun. And I think we forget as adults the importance of fun and to just play. And yes, I suppose as adults we find elements of that in hobbies we might have or sports or even a night out laughing with friends or on a dance floor. But proper fun and play where you're not thinking of anything else. And again, this weekend, I'd no time to scroll through my phone. I just took a few photos here and there and I was hurtling down in a rubber ring tubing down this kind of slide and it was just really good for the soul and since then this week I've been floating around my mum's house she's away and you're also never too old to appreciate a free gaff so (laughs) I've been moving at my own pace and it's been lovely I've had a very productive week and I hope that you have too you can email the show aliveandkicking at newstalk.com now joining me in studio is Emer Daly of Daily Wellbeing with the latest in health and wellness news and you're looking Particularly healthy and well yourself. You're just back from Portugal. I am just back from Portugal. I had such a beautiful time. 10 days away is such a lovely time to spend with friends doing absolutely nothing. And if anyone's heading to Lisbon, it's a great spot for health and wellness sort of things. Beautiful spots. So you were doing yoga and other things. You didn't kind of let the wheels come off fully. You did a bit of everything. Did a bit of everything. It was one of those holidays where there was something happening every day. And I was like, I was supposed to come here to relax. But it's great to be with your friends and keep doing things. But sometimes when holidays are jam-packed like that, you kind of come home and you're like, I need another holiday. (laughs) (laughs) But yes, I was doing really lovely things. Most of it was just spending time with friends. Yeah. Hanging out in the sunshine. Look at you. Different to what was going on here in July, I can tell you. (laughs) 
Let's get to some of the stories then. Um, And one is an interesting study that found that children raised in rural environments have better immune systems than those in urban areas. I know. It was so interesting when I heard this one. So research that was conducted by APC and UCC found that children that are exposed to things like being outdoors, connecting with animals and just kind of being outside are more likely to have a stronger immune system. And that's because they're building up like stronger pathways in their immune system to help them fight off and identify an infection when it comes to them in their later years, which is so interesting. But also it kind of makes sense that they're being exposed to these things early on in their life. So they're able to fight them off later on down, which is really incredible, I think. Yeah, because they do say even if you have pets in the house, mm-hmm. you're less likely to have things like ear infections because, again, you know, you're petting animals that spend a lot of time outside or you might be outside with them a little bit more. So you're getting these little bits of germs for it to test your immune system. Exactly. That strengthens it over time. And it's interesting you pick that one because later in the show, we're going to be speaking to Dr. James Kinross and this is his whole area of expertise. And he sort of worries about how we've become germaphobes and especially Mm post-COVID, the amount of hand sanitizer and everything we use so we can be protecting ourselves on the one hand, but we can also be destroying valuable information for our bodies at the same time. Absolutely. It's really, really good research to have there in front of us. Now, the countdown is on for the end of the summer holidays, um, unfortunately, and you have some advice for how we are going to cope with the rest of it and and start to prepare ourselves for a change in season. It feels really sad to say that considering we haven't really had blistering sun. I know. It's hard to think that like the summer is coming to an end and sometimes you feel like I have to do the most, whether it's, you know, spending time with your friends or having children around, you would know that they're probably coming to you every day being like, what are we doing today? And you're like, I don't know. But um, CBT therapist Susie Ladola has said the summer is actually a time where you're routine is going to be absolute chaos and just kind of leaning into that and letting yourself know, do you know what, the next four weeks are probably going to be a bit scattered rather than fighting it off, feeling like I have to have a dinner on the table at six o'clock. Like it's okay to have, I don't know, a cheese toasty for your dinner. Just leaning into the chaos is nice because summer's not here forever. We are going to go back to normal for the next few months, especially coming into the winter. So it's things like leaning into she says develop a new routine, but really just throw the routine out of out of the packet and say things like, I am going to get up earlier in the mornings, get in that sunlight or a really great one to do with kids is maybe on a Monday or Sunday evening, get a huge blank piece of paper and put in all the days of the week and say to the kids like, you can pop in all the things that you want to do on this big schedule. Now you might find they're they're going to put in everything that they want to do. But it allows you see like what they want to do and you schedule in the, uh, your time around what they want to do. So you can see like a blank canvas of, right, we've got a fun week planned ahead. And you're not giving yourself a hard time saying, oh, I didn't get to do this, that and the other with them this summer. You can see there in front of you, this is what we're going to do for the next week or so. Yeah, because I've certainly found it through my own mum lens. And I have just sort of said, look, we only have a few weeks left. If my kids are going to be playing the Xbox a little bit more in their pyjamas in the morning, well, so be it, because it'll be September Mm -hmm. very quickly and they'll be back to school and training and sports. So we all need this time to switch off from routine a little bit. So, yeah, I think leaning into the chaos and and giving yourself a break for the next three weeks, I think is really important advice. 100%. And just like Anna from Frozen says, let it go. There's always going to be something to do around the house or feel like we should be doing more. 
and probably just do less for the next four weeks and say, enjoy this time. And I'm I'm thinking that this, the weather's going to come around and we're going to have a no- nice another spell again. Yeah, so you're right. Leave the house, leave the dishes, leave whatever stops you from getting outside and just... Just do it. Just mm-hmm. lean into the later evenings, the longer, lighter, brighter evenings. Um, if you are travelling, you have some advice on flying. And I, I, you know, I just took like a very short flight this week from the UK back. And it does take a lot out of you. Travelling, I mean, how great it is that you're heading off to a destination and that, you know, this is open to you. But it can be exhausting. Are there ways to mitigate that? Yeah, absolutely. So civil aviation guidelines, they're the people who are going to know what you need to do. They have said things like just keeping on top of even like having the right amount of water on a flight. 250 milliliters is recommended for every hour on a flight. That's actually not a lot of water and you could be able to get that in. So just staying on top of your hydration will benefit you when you land at your destination. Keeping on top of the food that you're having, they say stay away from like things like spicy and greasy food because they're just going to enhance that feeling of like bloating, maybe heartburn and just feeling like blah when you get off a flight. You know, those days when you're just like, I don't feel good. But also trying to like walk around the plane if it is that long haul flight, do a little lap, stretch. People might be looking at you like you're mad, but it's on them because they're not going to feel great when they get off. (laughs) Um, And then also just like listening to your body. I mean, if you want to sleep on the plane, then do that. If you want to read a book, do it. Um, But just even like staying on top of things like the the time zone that you're going to be going into. They do recommend like maybe setting your watch um, to the time zone that you're going to be going to. Maybe the day before so you can kind of start getting your body clock into that rhythm before. And do you ever see kind of on Instagram people sharing what they bring on a flight and sometimes it just boggles my mind. They have those sort of uh, patches for under the eyes. They have certain serums that they bring on flights. Mm -hmm. They have certain blankets that they use. I, I, you know, I just rock up as best I can, pick up a <laughs> bottle of water yeah. and on I get. And I, I do think if, if food is important, they need to up their game with what you can buy at an airport and on a plane, don't they? I know, they really do. Like I can, if I think of all the things that I need to bring, I'll end up forgetting my passport or something. So yeah, <laughs> getting ourselves there is the main thing. But stick to the basics, like always with health and well-being, just stick to the basics and stay on top of it. Yeah, if you can get a good breakfast and throw a few decent snacks in the bag, that's the best that you can do. And speaking of mad things you see online, um, Hayley Bieber is collaborating in LA for a smoothie that'll cost 20 quid a pop. Absolutely. 20 quid a pop for a smoothie. Like that is just absolutely outrageous. <laughs> but if you've seen Hayley Bieber's skin, you're probably going to buy it. So Hayley Bieber has the strawberry skin glazed smoothie, um, which has things like hydrolonic acid, collagen, all these things that are supposed to boost our skin and immunity. Um, But there's other ways that we can get these in our diet by the food that we eat, the things that we're doing. But if this is something that you want to try out at home, nine out of ten times you're going to have most of these ingredients at home. Things like strawberries, dates, avocados, maybe some coconut milk. There's a few products in there like the collagen protein powder, hydrolonic acid. They might cost you a little bit more. But you could probably buy all this yourself here in Ireland for about 30 euro. And have that as like a batch for the week and be able to make these for like every single day instead of buying one for 20 euro, $20. Um, So you can follow me on my Instagram channel. I'm going to be making it this week. I'm going to be putting up the ingredients, checking out my skin. And hopefully next time I see you, Claire, I'm going to be absolutely glowing. (laughs) 
Well, post-Lisbon, I think you're looking pretty glowy already. So uh, <laughs> the sky's the limit. So people can check you out at daily underscore wellbeing on Instagram. And Emer also has a podcast called Figuring It Out. Emer Daly, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Coming up after the break, why we need germs to survive. Alive and kicking on News Talk. You're welcome back to Alive and Kicking. Now, Dr. James Kinross is a senior lecturer in colorectal surgery and consultant surgeon at Imperial College London and a visiting professor at the Royal College of Surgeons here in Ireland. He leads a research team defining how the microbiome causes cancer and other chronic diseases of the gut. Dark Matter, his first book, has just been published and he joins me on the line now. Hello, James. How are you? Oh, thank you for having me. The pleasure is absolutely mine. Well, before we get into the book, tell me a little bit about your work. I know you fitted this interview in around surgeries. I, I did. So I'm, my job is um, I'm a colorectal surgeon, so I specialise in treating bowel cancer. And yep, I've been operating this morning uh, on someone with bowel cancer. And it's what I spend a lot of my time thinking about. And does the age demographic vary with colon cancer? It does, absolutely. And historically, bowel cancer was something that was most common in people over the age of 70. But that is changing, uh, and it's changing in quite an alarming way. So we're seeing very rapid rises in the diagnoses of bowel cancer in young people. And by young, I mean people under the age of 50. So if you've been born in the 1990s or the early 2000s, your risk of bowel cancer is now four times that of someone born in the 1950s and 60s. And do we know what's going on in the body when bowel cancer comes about? Well, we do. We've got lots of knowledge about why some people get bowel cancer. And some people get it because they have genes that they have inherited. And there's a a condition called Lynch syndrome, which explains why some people get bowel cancer. But that's the minority of people. So around 5 to 10% of people will have a genetic mutation that that defines it. We know that there is some risk that is transferred between families. So probably around 20 to 25% of that risk can be explained through that. But the majority of bowel cancer risk is explained by the foods you eat, the place you live, and the environmental toxins that you come into contact with during your lifetime. And what we believe is that the bacteria that live in your gut play a very, very important part in explaining why some people are more uh, at risk of cancer than others. And we'll get into that in a moment. And, and gut health has been something I talk about frequently on the show. And it, it really is fascinating all the research we're getting now into the microbiome. But what is the treatment then, James? Is it the same as all cancers that there will be surgery and perhaps radiotherapy and, and chemotherapy? Well, the really exciting thing about bowel cancer and actually a lot of cancers is that the treatments are advancing and changing really quickly. And Um, the treatment that you will receive if you're listening to this and you've got bowel cancer will vary a little bit depending on where precisely your cancer is, how advanced the cancer is and the particular type of cancer you've got. But generally speaking, surgery is still the mainstay of treatment. We try to operate on people because that gives them the best chance of survival. Uh, And then we will use a combination of medicines, so what we call chemotherapy and sometimes radiotherapy uh, to treat these bowel cancers. And in newer types of therapy, we can give medicines that particularly target the immune system to help uh, destroy the cancer. This is a newer class of medicines and, and we're quite excited about them. And can we live without parts of our bowel or are you just removing tumours with surgery? 
Well, brilliant question. So you can absolutely live without parts of your bowel. Um, and many of my patients live normal and long and happy lives. And, and the really important message is with bowel cancer particularly, the earlier you get it, um, the better your chance of survival and your better your chance of living a normal uh, and completely um, uninterrupted uh, life. And that's what we want for all of our patients. And that's why we test uh, for bowel cancer uh, so frequently. With all of the reading up I've done on the microbiome and gut health, I just know how thin that layer is. So this must be fairly tricky surgery. Um, well, it, it can be tricky surgery. Unfortunately, it's very common surgery because bowel cancer is, is so common. In, in the United Kingdom, just over 40,000 people will suffer from bowel cancer each year. So unfortunately, we have to do a lot of operating on it. The technology that allows us to operate is, is changing uh, a lot. So this morning, for example, I've used a robot to remove the bowel cancer that I was operating on and we're getting better and better and more precise uh, at these procedures all of the time and the outcomes are continuing to, to, to improve. But yes, you're right, it can sometimes be uh, fiddly. And what are the signs um, and symptoms for people to look out for? Because I, I think when it comes to the bowel, people don't really want to talk about going to the toilet. We still have understandable, yeah. I suppose, this being a Sunday morning show issue around discussing that. But we need to be more comfortable with it because it is a real indicator of our health, how we are performing in that bathroom. Yeah, you're 100% right. And and um, um, we all get a little bit embarrassed, don't we, when we talk about it, but, but you shouldn't be. And And the major thing to take from this conversation is that if anyone's listening to this and they have experienced a change in their bowel habit that's lasted for about more than six weeks or so. So by that, what I mean is maybe they're having a bit more diarrhea than they would normally expect, or they're going to the toilet a bit more frequently, or perhaps they're going a little bit less frequently, then they need to go and ask for help. If you're passing some blood from your bottom, particularly dark blood or altered blood, you need to go and ask for help. And if you're having any pain in your tummy uh, that's associated with that change in bowel habit, you need to go and ask for help. And the most important thing is that you really should not be embarrassed. Um, these are really simple, easy tests to do uh, if you've got um, these symptoms and, and it may well save your life. Yeah, absolutely. Don't be embarrassed. And we're all experts around our own bodies and our own health. So if something oh, isn't yeah. feeling right, go and seek advice. Let's move to the book then. Um, you start off discussing how you feel at 45 that perhaps you're on the cusp of a midlife crisis as is the earth. <laughs> yeah. Tell us yeah. about your midlife crisis first. Oh, my, 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 my midlife crisis is de deep and, and complex. <laughs> but I think, I, think, I think it was a moment where I was just reflecting on my own journey into medicine and the changes that we've experienced and begun to understand in how the uh, biology of our bodies really affects our health and my changing perspective on that. And my perspective has been heavily influenced by the research I've done and, and the work of many others from around the world. And that really led to the writing of this book. And at its core is this idea that not all bugs are bad. So we often think about microscopic life forms like bacteria as being very harmful. We've just come out of a, a global pandemic when a virus you know, really caused a global catastrophe. But, but in actuality, the microscopic life forms within us sustain us. They allow our organs to grow healthily. They keep our minds in check and they link us to our environment. They link us to the world around us. Uh, and the conclusion I've come to as part of that sort of thought process is that really we're experiencing a form of internal climate crisis. And you can imagine 
obviously that's happening to the planet. And we've seen the fires across Europe and the concern about the rising oceanic temperatures in the press recently. But the same thing is happening inside of us. It's, it, that same process exists. And the destruction of these really important microbes that maintain our health is having very, very important consequences for our, our health. And we think explains maybe, for example, some of the rising cancer rates that we're discussing, but also the rising allergy rates that we see or the rising rates in autoimmune diseases like rheumatoid arthritis or inflammatory bowel disease, the rising rates in asthma, the rising obesity pandemic uh, and chronic diseases that are historically not thought to be caused by microbes. These are what we would call non-communicable disease, but actually we think that microbes are quite important in, in explaining why we're experiencing those changes. Well, you're doing well in the midlife crisis because as someone who's also 45, it does become a time where you think, OK, if this is the midpoint, what do I want to do with the rest of it? And the fact that you've used your voice to spread this word, I, I think, is, is very admirable um, to be of oh, service and to share this knowledge with people. And I think sometimes in health discussions, it can be almost uh, people kind of attach blame to it. So if we say lifestyle related diseases, it's as if we're kind of wagging our finger at somebody to tell them what they didn't do. But we should really flip that mm -hmm. and take this research and information and use it to be empowering that our bodies are our ecosystems. They're, they're, they're systems that need to operate in a certain way for us to have optimum health and to feel good. And every human deserves that. Oh, I completely agree. And what we've learned in microbiome science over the last 20 years is that this microbiome, which is, if you like, a collection of microscopic life forms that lives within a niche within our bodies. We actually have them all over our bodies. We have them in our skin, in our lungs, in our urogenital systems, but also in our gut. Um, what we've learned is that these microbiomes are very variable between people. So you and me will probably share somewhere between 1% to 10% of the same microscopic organisms. Uh, and that explains much of the variance we see in disease risk, but also in the response to different disease um, treatments that we, that we give our patients. And um, it explains why some of the medicines that we give to people just don't work. It also explains, we think, why some people are so vulnerable to obesity or weight gain and others aren't. We know that the microbiome plays such an important part in explaining why some of us are so vulnerable to weight gain uh, or perhaps why some of us simply can't put weight on. Uh, and it's um, critical programming in the very early parts of our lives that defines our risk of diseases later on in our lives. So unless you understand the microbiome, it's very hard to understand why we have this personal variation in our experience of health-related problems as we age. And it's very interesting. There are some things, obviously, that we can't control, but then there are some that we can. And there were some fascinating facts within your book. Like, it blew my mind that... 2.95 billion US dollars was spent on hand sanitizer in 2022. Yeah. And you also talk a lot about antibiotics. So on the yeah. one hand, th these are very positive things, but they're also killing off and uh, impacting our health in more other yeah. ways. How do we manage that balancing act? Well, what I'm saying is, is that we, we still think about disease or the risk of infectious disease anyway uh, in a kind of 19th and 20th century um, um, language. So we talk about germ theory. So germs are microbes are germs and they cause us harm. And, and, and all of science has really been devoted to the destruction of germs. And, and that's been really important. And it's saved millions and millions of lives because germs in the 19th and 20th century were the thing that were most likely to kill you. But they're not in the 20th and 21st century. 
Today, the thing that's most likely to kill you is cardiovascular disease. It's a heart attack or a stroke. And what we're saying is, is that in our pursuit of bad bugs or what we call pathogens, we've inadvertently begun to kill the bugs that you need to maintain your health, what we call symbionts. And it's our addiction to antibiotics that's been a major part in this process. We, we obviously overuse antibiotics, not just in healthcare, but in farming practices and in lots of other um, um, industrial processes. And the scale of antibiotics is so overwhelming that really you can think about it like an entire epoch. We live in an antibiocene where it's entirely normal for young children to be exposed to very high and frequent doses of antibiotics. And that, over a very short period of time, no more than around 70 years, has profoundly influenced how we maintain our relationships with these microscopic life forms. And we know from epidemiological studies and from uh, studies in humans and also studies in animals that if you disrupt these relationships, that your risk of these chronic diseases closely associates uh, with antibiotic use. So for example, lots of antibiotic use in early childhood increases your risk of asthma, increases your risk of obesity, increases your risk of neurodevelopmental problems, and it increases your risk of um, mental health problems, right? Um, and so the question we're asking is, well, well, why and how does that happen? And how do we meaningfully help patients protect themselves from these, uh, these risks going forward? And what's the take home for people then? I mean, they can read the book Dark Matter and get more of an understanding as to why this is important. And you've touched on there's all kinds of of, of systems and and policies that we need to push for change in this area. But what about people listening now and and a take home of how they can make changes within their life that might improve their microbiome health? Yeah. So so the good news is there's lots of things that people can do if you're listening to this. Um, and the way that I think about it is you can, you can nurture your microbiome, you can protect your microbiome, and you can feed your microbiome. So when we think about food, you'll probably hear lots of overwhelming and slightly conflicting or confusing advice about diet. Diet is obviously very, very important. But if there's one thing that you can do, it's to get more fiber into your diet. So get to the magic 30 grams of fiber a day. And that means having your five portions of fresh fruit and fresh vegetable every day. Uh, and your microbiome really loves to eat all of that delicious fiber. And you'll get lovely blooms of uh, beneficial microbes in your gut if you do that. And if you have a little bit of fermented food in there, so a little bit of sauerkraut or kimchi or sourdough bread or kefir, that will really help. It will help improve the diversity of your gut microbiome and it will give you a little bit more resilience. The second thing is you've got to protect your microbiome and that means you've got to stop causing it harm. And that means you really should only take antibiotics unless directed by your medical doctor, unless they're absolutely necessary. The third thing is when you're going to nurture microbiome, that means you've got to be social, you've got to connect, you've got to share your microbes with other people. Uh, and that means you've also got to nurture the microbiome in early life. So, so that means putting down the iPad, putting down uh, the screen time and getting out there and playing with other children because that's how you share microbes. There are lots of other little things that we can do. And you're right. I think at some point we need policy that actually protects the microbiome and considers it a basic human right. Because if you don't have a healthy microbiome in early life, then you're at risk of chronic disease. And that, that's a policy discussion uh, which our politicians need to really think about. The book is called Dark Matter. Dr. James Kinross, Senior Lecturer in Colorectal Surgery and Consultant Surgeon. Thank you so much for coming on. Oh, gosh, the pleasure is absolutely all mine. Thank you so much for having me. 
coming up after the break as the Irish women's football team arrived home to a massive reception after their trip to Australia to the World Cup. I'll be joined by performance psychologist Jerry Hussey to see what sport can teach us about life. Alive and kicking on News Talk. You're welcome back to Alive and Kicking. Now, the Irish women's football team arrived home this week to a massive reception, and so they should, after making history to get to Australia in the first place. And then, just because they didn't get out of the group and lift the World Cup, it doesn't mean that their trip wasn't a massive success. And so, I wanted to talk about that on the show, coming back from wins and fails and perceived adversity. So, I've asked show regular Jerry Hussey to join me. Jerry Hussey is co founder at soulspace.ie and best selling author of the groundbreaking book Awaken Your Power Within. He's also a health and performance coach, working with, among others, a host of different athletes and sports people for the Olympics, for tournaments, and beyond. And he's on the line now. Hello, Jerry. How are you? I'm great. How are you keeping? I'm good. Thank you very much. And I said in the introduction, perceived adversity, because it is all about how we view things, isn't it? Yeah, well, we all know, you know, that's what life, life is uncertain, it's unpredictable and there's no doubt in life there'll be pain along the way, stuff that we can't control and I think it's a very rare human being that gets through life without pain. So adversity and pain is part of life, but however, suffering is different and um, I've always been trying to look at the way we see things, the way we perceive things and the way we interpret things is often the cause of our own suffering. So for me, what I've been trying to do with people in life who go through all types of adversity or sports people who don't win all the time, who don't, things don't always work out, we have to be defined not by what happens to us, but how we choose to respond. So while there is pain in life and sport and and, uh, is particularly painful at times, we don't have to suffer. And if we can develop that mindset where we choose not to suffer, we choose to, to move forward and move through that, I think we, we now can take on sport and all its uncertainty and unpredictability with a, a different mindset. And I was watching the matches and after the loss in the first match to Australia, the host nation, one of the best teams in the world, I was wondering what impact that would have on the women's team and their subsequent matches. And I actually went to a reception before they headed off. And I must say, I was really bowled over by their mindset. There was a few of the players came up and and spoke on the stage and uh, Vera Powell was there also. And they were talking about challenges, really teaching them things, that to play against a team that doesn't challenge you, then you don't learn anything. But why do we set it all up that winning is the success that gives us confidence and loss is what takes it away? Yeah, well, I think anyone that knows me knows I am a ruthless winner and I like to be, I like to win, you know, all the teams I've worked with, whether it's a a county team trying to win in All-Ireland or an Olympic athlete, like, why not win? I've never subscribed to moral victories and I don't think that Irish teams should go into any tournament thinking, isn't it great to qualify? And that's what I particularly liked about this ladies team is they have that competition and you can see that mentality beginning to come into most Irish teams now. So I think I think it's a sign of a winner. I think that, you know, losing should hurt. I think it should challenge you. But that's where the great growth and lesson comes from. So what I always look at is the right person with the right process. And if you if you can create an athlete with the right mindset and they can follow the right process, that's the most important thing. What happens in victory sometimes is 
the, a wrong process might be employed. We might have made a lot of mistakes, but the emotion of winning kind of covers over that. And we we might, you know, not do the work that we need to do in terms of analysis or reviewing the process. But what a loss does is it really focuses us. And particularly when you're ambitious, of course, there's an initial hurt. And there's probably sometimes after tournament you come home and say, I don't even want this anymore. I'm fed up with it. But a day or two later that, you know, that ambitious voice in your head and all those soccer players have that begins to say, right, how do I make this better? So if you want to change the outcome, you've got to change the process. So that's what I always say. You've got to focus on building the right person with the right process. And the right person with the right process doesn't have to worry about the outcome. And what we need to make sure is that we treat victory and defeat as the same thing. It's just an outcome. And what we need to understand, even in victory, is what what was it that allowed the victory? Where was the process really good? Where do we turn up in the way we said we would? And how can we improve? And you know what? Even when you lose, you ask the exact same questions. So for me, I love winning. I think we should be ambitious. I think Irish teams should dream of taking on the world and being the best in the world. But we need to focus on the process. We need to focus on one step at a time. And as I said, right person with the right process never gets caught up in the outcome. And I think we all have that want to win. I, I guess... Um, envy when I watch people, you know, lifting trophies or getting gold medals at the Olympics because I imagine what that felt like, what kind of journey that was, the amount of themselves they put into it, the amount of sacrifice and to be rewarded at the end of that must just feel incredible. Um, But we can transfer these learnings from sport into life, don't we? Can't we? I I think we have to. And, you know, I think sport is life because all of those girls or any athlete I've worked with, they're human beings and they're not born. Sometimes we think they're born different or they're different genetics. They're not. They're brothers and sisters. They're mums, they're dads. They're just people. But what they've developed is an extraordinary mindset. And one of the greatest things that I'm always asking with all the different athletes you work with, what's the one thing that connects them? It's bravery. Most of us have a dream. We have an ambition. But we're always looking at plan B. We're always, what if that doesn't work out? And the moment you have a plan B, expect plan A to fail. What these athletes have, and what those incredible girls have, I mean, is a, a rootless, burning ambition where they, they sacrifice so much, sometimes they sacrifice everything else to go after it. So they have this ability to, without any, you know, without any certainty, without any predictability, they still have this amazing bravery to put all their eggs in one basket and say, right, let's go after this. Because it's passion. It's what they love doing. And that's what sport should be about. Sport shouldn't be about fear. It shouldn't be about comparison. It should be about love. And life should be about love. And the question I always ask people, you know, we know how short life is. And if you really loved yourself, if you really backed yourself, if you didn't care what other people thought, and you weren't afraid to fail, what would you do? Then that's the thing you have to go after. So what all of these girls have is, regardless of the outcome, every single day they wake up and they take the hard choice to go training, to, to, to go to physio, to do the analysis. When most people wake up, we take the easy choice. So that's why for me, whether, the, whether a team wins or not, what I look back, and I look back at the process and I look at these athletes with incredible awe and amazement, their bravery, their, their, you know, 
what they've put on the line. And sometimes, even after a, a defeat, they're willing to do it again. I think that's an inspiration for any young person, whether your dream is to be a fashion designer, whether your dream is to be a musician, a poet, an artist, whether your dream is to set up your own business, your, your dream is to be whatever it does. Go after it. Because what happens in life, like long after it's all over, I've often worked with athletes who might have dreamed of being an Olympic champion and they've put their entire life into it and it didn't work out. But they've done everything they could. They've had an amazing experience. They've met amazing people. And even if you ask them at the end, do you regret pursuing that dream? They will all say, absolutely not. So I believe that the tragedy in life is not death. The tragedy of life is arriving at the end and realize you've never lived. So when I see these girls out there playing in the World Cup, regardless of the outcome, they're there. They're doing something that was never done before. They're putting their hearts, their souls on the line. They're standing in front of the world and saying, here we are, this is us, and this is what we believe in. And in this one short life, we're going to give this a shot. And once you can go at sport or life in that mindset, then the outcome is important, but it's not. So the biggest lesson that you learn from sport is life is short. Your dreams are precious. Back yourself and go after it. Mm, I love that, Jerry. And I used to always say to myself, I never want to get to the end of life and think, why didn't I? And I used to think of 60 as being where I'd be when I think that I'm pushing it out a bit now. <laughs> I give myself more time to try more things. But I think that's really important. We Things might not go the way we necessarily dream about them or expect them to. But at least you're putting yourself out there and the journey along the way can be just as fulfilling. And how do you drown out that noise then, Jerry? The the self-doubt, the stress, and I don't have time, and what about this, and what about that, and what about the other people, and what they're doing, and the comparison. How do you drown all that out and stay focused on your own path? I think so. Firstly, I live, I think, you probably know this, the mantra that I live my life by is every day is a lifetime, and every lifetime is a day. I begin my day every single day with a morning routine that allows me to let go of yesterday, let go of the past, and ask myself questions. And questions are, who am I? What are my values? What are my dreams? And why am I choosing to pursue this? So I do things that, at times that, you know, doesn't make sense to anybody else. But there's a burning desire in me. I want to do things. I want to do it well. Whether I'm writing a book or whether I'm giving a talk, I'm going to put my heart and my soul into it. Because for me, when it's over, regardless of the outcome, I have to know that I turned up. I have to know. So every morning, start again. So some days you lose. Some days you, you have, you, your radio show goes fantastic. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes my talks go well. Sometimes they don't. At the end of every evening, I sit down and ask myself three questions. One is, what in today am I really grateful for? The second is, what from today can I learn? And the third is, why, why am I proud of myself? I let that day go and I start again the next day. When we start dragging failures from the past, so that's the, you got to let the past go. You just let it go because what happened to you today has no bearing on what can happen tomorrow if you choose not to be attached to it. And then the second thing is go back to your why. So there's videos that I watch every single morning. There's memories that, why do I do the work I do? Because... I want to liberate people. You know, in my own sporting career, I failed over and over again because I didn't know the power of the mind. I'd known to help me or support me. 
I know what failure feels like. And if I can liberate people from that, and on the health side of stuff, as someone that grew up with terrible anxiety and fear and, and at times feeling the whole world was out to get me and, and, and that I couldn't exist, I want to liberate people from that. So there's a great expression that says, he who knows the why will find the how. So you got to wake up every day and remind yourself, why am I doing this? Don't think about what happens if it doesn't work out. Think about what happens if it does. What happens if you won that Olympic medal? What happens if you won the World Cup? What happens if you got that job? And you have to begin to program your mind and your reticular activating system. You have to program your mind and your heart every day. But you have to listen to your heart. And you have to ask that question, at the end of my life, would I be proud that I pursued it? Or would I regret if I don't? And you've got to go with your heart. Yeah, and it's only in, in recent enough years that I sort of realised that your comfort zone can be with those negative thoughts. You think comfort zone has been quite a positive place, but you can keep yourself held back thinking, well, they, did do the, they didn't do that and that didn't happen to me. And that can keep you, keep you safe and keep you stuck in, in many ways that we keep repeating that to ourselves. So you're right, letting go every day and starting afresh is is really, really good advice, as you always give. And you don't just talk the talk, you, you walk the walk. You have just completed your second book this morning, Jerry. Just this morning, yeah. Um, and this is the book that about 20 years ago, I, I was listening to a, a, a something that Deepak Chopra was doing. And the more I, th- I thought about it, it has been probably one of the things that's liberated me most in my life. It has changed my anxiety from a kid that grew up with terrible anxiety. This has changed my life. And I've been practically living it. And now the mission was, how do I take this message, deepen it, and share it? So, like, the likes of Deepak is my idol. But I believe there was a step beyond what he was saying. And so it's like it's like taking your favorite song from your, your, your idol musician and saying, I can make that better. And I've had to overcome my own self-fear. I've had to go and live this for years. I've had to, I've been documenting, I've been researching, I've been learning. So this book is is that long in the making. And um, I was reading it last night and part of me felt like crying because whether this book sells one copy or a million copies, it doesn't actually matter now. This is the book. When I was a child in, in the middle of all of that, looking for something to save me, this was the book I wish I found. And I've done it, for, not for me, for everybody else. Every day I woke up on it, this book has been, you know, there's been days I wanted to walk away from it, I wanted to give up on it. But I just kept thinking of service. If I can give this message to people in a really powerful, practical, simple way, this could change people's lives. So I wrote this book. It's like, it's like an athlete that dreams of winning the World Cup. They have to pursue it. This book has been in my heart for years. I've had to write it. I've struggled to write it. I've worried that I wasn't able to write it, but I've kept coming back to it. And finally, last night, on, on the last day that I was reading it, and I was saying, I actually don't care now whether this book sells even one copy. This is the book I was meant to write, and I've done it. Well, it'll certainly sell at least one. I'll buy it, Jerry. I look <laughs> forward you. to it. I loved the last book and I love everything you do with Soul Space. You set it up with your wife, Miriam, who's also somebody I asked to come back on the show time and time again. You're both 
absolute shining lights. You have some events coming up. Tell us a little bit more. Yeah, we have an event in Cork. Cork has always been a massive supporter, so we're back in Cork on the 10th of September, I think. Um, and we'll do a big Soul Sunday. So a Soul Sunday is where I pick topics and we go through them in great detail. And it's it's a six-hour event, so you're delivering contact, but it's also some beautiful meditations and it's real practical. So it's it's topics and it's theory, but it's real practical as well. So that's coming up in Cork in September. We have a big retreat in Portugal um, that we do every year now in October and then in November. Uh, November the 12th, we have our, national, our annual show on the National Concert Hall in Dublin that coincides with the the publication of my new book. So the show is called The Freedom Within and my new book is called The Freedom Within. Well, incredible. I hope to get to that as well. I love your events. I'm just always so moved by them. Um, you do indeed stir the soul. People can find out more at soulspace.ie. Jerry Hussey, thank you so much for coming on. That's no, always a pleasure and, and anytime. Thanks so much. So that is it for Live and Kicking for this week. My thanks to all of my guests, to my producer Eva Breen and to Hugo De Silva Scott who was on sound. And thanks as ever to you for listening. I will see you next week. Alive and Kicking on News Talk.